But um, I think they'll be out in about five minutes. Oh, easy, no stress. Okay. As the ambience of you know things going on in the oh, background. I don't, know. And don't be nervous. We're just two friends catching up. I oh, haven't right. seen you for. It's been two. No days? more than that, because honors. It's, I reckon it was about it's about three and a bit years. Three and a bit years. Mm. How old's Anna? She's four in July. Um, mummy, could you tell about cat toilet? <laughs> yes, Alan. Okay. Thanks, Jed. So, your mum. Yes. Two kids. Yes. Husband. Yes. And what else do you do? Uh, I work as a funeral celebrant. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, normally if I'm out at the shops and I'm all dressed up on my way home from work and I usually make sure I take my badge off so they don't know my name, you know, Matt will say, oh, can you get some food for dinner? And I've got to go in all glam. And um, usually the checkout lady will be like, oh, you know, you're so dressed up. What do you you out to a party? And I always say, oh, no, I usually, I usually say, oh, I just work as a celebrant. And she goes, oh, you must do a lot of weddings. And then I say, ah, no, I just do funerals. And then usually the conversation... I was about to say. Yeah, the conversation stops because no one is really interested in funerals. And I think it's not that they're not interested. I think they're uncomfortable with death and how we honour and celebrate death. So now I just say I work as a celebrant because then... It's a lot easier. Yeah. (laughs) But what about... So I love that scenario. Because I was actually going to ask, like, say you're at a a work function for Matt and you're talking to one of his work colleagues and they ask what you do. Yeah. You're stuck with, you know, that conversation for 10 minutes. How do those conversations go? Okay. So those conversations are pretty good because being in the fire brigade is almost like being in a bit of a brotherhood or, you know, or you can't say brotherhood anymore because there's sisters in there, but um, they spend a lot of time together. So they all kind of know what I do. Um, And because they're emergency service workers, Mm. they get it, you know, they get, you know, they know they've seen trauma, they've seen grief. So I I always say to people, you know, Matt saves them (laughs) and I honour them. (laughs) Wow. Um, So they're, they're okay, those conversations. And people who know me. Yeah. When I got into this job, the feedback straight away was, that's 100% you. Yeah. Like, that is who you are as a person. So. And how long have you been doing it for? And how old were you when you got into it? Because I think that's going to be something interesting for people yeah. as well. Yeah. So, I was, my very first funeral, I was 29. Wow. And then two days later, I turned 30. So, um, yeah. I've um, been doing it now for, what, is it two years now? That's a mess. Two years. Usually I try and avoid the question if families say, how long have you been doing this? Because I'm young. I'm yeah. probably um, 30 years young in my job. So most celebrants, yep. even if they're male or female, are 60, 60 and like mid-60s. No one is really early 30s mm. or 30. So. And have they been doing it for 30 years? No, or no. So that's a great question. So they've had a career, usually as like a school teacher or um, something in counselling. Um, even funeral directors have then come in to do um, celebrancy. Mm. Um, so, yeah, most of them have had like quite a long career. Yeah. And then this is something that they do on the side. So... Whereas I do this as a, my full-time job. So I take on probably more work than what they would be comfortable with. Right. And how busy yeah. does this keep you? Oh, mad. Yeah. <laughs> it's mad. Um, so summer, for some weird reason, is always really quiet. I have no – there's no rhyme or reason as what? to why. Yeah. All right, what's your theories? What are your theories, no matter how morbid? 
why is it then um, that, that summer's quieter for funerals? I don't know. It's not something really you can control. I really don't know. Um, I couldn't even say, for example, that, you know, um, older people are yeah. more affected by the cold. So okay. that might, you know, not be as because winter is busy winter is really 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 busy right. yeah it's really busy but I don't really I don't know because I don't do just elderly people's services I do um, yep. babies do a lot of stillborn babies wow India yeah. <laughs> that we'll get to like the emotional side of this role yeah because they're down the track they're my favourite to do right and not in a horrible in a really you have this really intimate time but you can ask me later about them yeah yeah so um, <laughs> wow where do you go from there we might as well talk about it now then. yeah so okay. so you do a lot of I guess maybe then and tell me if this is an assumption because mm. I am assuming I guess then in my mind doing a lot of infant um, and stillborn baby funerals you're probably then dealing with mums and parents mm. closer to your yeah, age, perhaps. 100%. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And is that help? probably more helpful for, for them than maybe someone that's a bit older? Yeah, I that. think so. Yeah. Um, it's an interesting space. I remember the first one that I did, it was just before COVID had hit. In fact, um, it was just when the toilet paper was starting to get quite low. And yep. I know this because they lived all the way in by the beach so I had to drive from the Yarra Valley out to see them wow. so by the time I got to their house I was busting yeah, <laughs> yeah. and when I went to the toilet I said to them on the way in oh I promise like I only use one square <laughs> and they started <laughs> the and they people. started laughing because they hadn't laughed for a week you know and um this was their second baby so their first boy was four years old um and then they had a little girl who had passed away and she was term um yeah and i guess the reason they're my favorite ones is because you have this rare opportunity to tangibly show love in a physical way but also through honoring their loved one's life and so what i take pride in is actually writing a story about their baby um so i will what's that process um so i sit with them and i ask them how was your pregnancy you know did you have any cravings um we, did you have morning sickness? Yeah. Um, how did you find out you were pregnant? How did you tell family and friends? Did you do a gender reveal? Yeah. We talk about labour. Um, we talk about the life that would have been. Yeah. And um, by telling a story, you focus on the special things that they want to remember about that pregnancy rather than the fact that they don't have their baby in their arms. Mm, the story over the tragedy. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And so I think that's probably why they're my favourite because – you can really make a big difference in their grief journey. Mm. And, um, yeah, they're about my age. Yeah. And I think the other thing is I'm past babies, if that makes sense. Mm. So I'm not in that same stage of life. I feel like um, if I was a mum of a little baby, then I probably wouldn't step into that space and do those sort of services just because they're too close to home. Right. So, for example, I don't actually do children. So anything okay. from one up until maybe 13 or 14 mm. is a no-go zone. And when did you decide um, that into your As soon as I started. Yeah, wow. Yeah, as soon as I started because I'm a mum of small children and they are um, my greatest joy and they're what makes me come home after work, mm. after a sad service and just strip everything off and be mm. present with them. Mm. And so I don't want anything to take away that joy. And I know that if I was caring for someone who'd lost 
a child the same age as my son who's six I just don't think I could be professional enough Um, and it's not my job on a funeral to cry that's their job you know I have to hold it in how do you do that yeah (laughs) especially Um, yeah how do you go uh, with that and then especially sharing these intimate stories in front of other people how do you control that um god (laughs) so grace I think it's grace I you know, I got called into this job for a reason. And so I, I mean, I did my, my very first funeral was my grandma's funeral and we can talk about that in a bit. Yeah. But, well, yeah sorry. Go with that. Uh, um, yeah. But the, um, I didn't cry at her funeral. And so it was after I did it, I just was overwhelmed with this feeling of this, this grace that I can do this. Your but, grandma's funeral. Yeah. Yeah. So when I do other people's funerals, you know, I always say a short prayer just at the start before I go down mm. and um, all the nerves disappear. Um, there's no nerves and I'm able to, to speak clearly. And there's no, there's no emotion. I mean, there's emotion in my voice, but there's no crying. Yeah. Um, that's not to say though, that I don't get in the car on the way home and just bawl my eyes out. Um, because I'm human and I feel emotion and I feel grief. It would be almost more disturbing if you were someone oh, that no. could do that and remain. Yeah. I guess that's a, an interesting balance that you'd have to strike. It sounds like to me, you know, your uh, the word that you keep mentioning is honour. Honour, honour, honour. It's funny. It's, yeah, my daughter's called honour. Your, yeah. your daughter's called honour. <laughs> that's right. Is you seem to have this grace, as mm. you said, to be able to honour the individual, their story with full emotion without, um, I guess, maybe crossing over into grief. Yeah. Because yeah. you're able to separate that honouring right. and full emotion recognition without – because I feel like it's grief that triggers the tears and maybe some yeah. other emotions yeah, as well, that's but right. you're able to kind of – And there's that's no, incredible. there's no love connected is in there's care yeah but they're not my person that i loved you know and so i think wow when you yep. when you love that's when you feel grief quite yeah. strongly and um before i um did my first service i sat down with a guy who i just had connected with through um pastor at our church and he yep. works as a full-time pastor but also as a celebrant as well yeah um very clear differences in it because celebrants do um non-christian they right. can do Christian funerals, yeah. but it's you work as a celebrant. Yeah. Is that Terry? No, not oh. Terry. No, no. His name is Phil Brake. Okay. He's a, yeah, I know Phil Brake. Yeah, he's yeah. an amazing guy and yeah. he was so good to me. And um, he said something to me which I've just never forgotten and Matt won't let me get a tattoo. And to be honest, I'm not really into <laughs> tattoos personally, but it says you're called to care but not to carry. Oh. So good. I know. On. Call to care. But not and to carry. Not to carry. Yeah. And you know, the, the the premise for this podcast is the price of entry. And I guess, mm. you know, without getting too conceptual about it, what I'm wanting to, you know, hear from people is the price to do what it is that you do. Not just the the how long does a ceremony normally go for, if you know, um, ceremony? Forty I mean, can go half an hour, forty five minutes to an hour. An hour's probably max. So that's what people see. That's the yeah. tip of the iceberg. That's but I right. feel like especially with what you do the weight to, to, and even just the challenge to not pick up and carry would yeah. be ex- like yeah. so challenging. That's fascinating to me. And I know maybe fascinating to other people is the cost to actually do what you do beyond mm-hmm. just that time in front of people that everyone else sees. Mm-hmm. So how hard is it not to carry? Is that something you have to consciously decide oh, not to Totally. Do? Yeah, totally. And I, I get, 
um, I see like a psychologist every three or four months. Smart. And yeah. Fair. Yeah. Um, and it's it's quite a good one. It's one through the um, fire brigade, so it's paid oh, for through Matt's work. Perfect. Yeah, it's just for family members of the fire brigade, which is good. That's a great setup. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I check in with her as my kind of self care because. Most of the time, I usually, once I've done the service and I get in the car and I might have a cry, when I get home, if I'm still thinking about it the next day, even though everything's been done and dusted, then I need to go, oh, I need to check in on that. Yeah. So, I did um, one particular service without going into too much detail that really challenged me, I think, because she was my age right. um, and had children as well. And it was just, it was horrible. And... Um, I just cried and cried and cried for this mm. this girl um, silently, you know. And when I saw the counsellor or the psychologist, she said to me, "Have you stepped out of her shoes yet?" She said, and I said, oh, "I don't, I don't know." And she said, "Well, you need to step out of her shoes because you're not her, you know." So there's yeah. some that I try not to carry, but they do, um, and you Human. absorb stuff. As yeah, well. and yeah. Oh, so much there. That's um, this is so impressive, India. I so much respect for what you do. Thank That's you. I, as you said, you definitely not just have to have a grace to do this, but clearly do have a grace to be Thank able to you. do it. Yeah, um, it's so impressive. <laughs> and I guess you know, having that just the thought that popped in. I guess and assuming again, having a somebody to talk to. That is probably if I'm assuming if they're the person for where Matt works as a mm. firefighter, they're probably also more equipped to chat to firefighters that have had to go through trauma. Sick trauma. Yeah. So she's uniquely equipped for your situation as opposed to maybe just a general counselor or something yes, like that. That's that right. Yeah. Trauma may come up a little bit, but probably yeah. not as. So she's uniquely equipped to be able to help yeah. you with that as well. That's, that's yeah. super handy. She's good. Mm. Yeah. She's and the absorption part. So. Would you say there's a difference between carrying and absorbing? I think you. I think you can't help but absorb because you hear people's stories, you know. Mm. So I think you can't help but be affected in some way um, because you're you're hearing details and intimate details about that person, and not really about how they die. You know, families often, most of the time, don't want to talk about that. You know, I've done a lot of suicides and they don't want to talk about the intimate details of how they, yeah. you know, suicided sadly, but they, they want it to be a celebration of their life, you know, and so we, I still hear those stories that still affect you and um, I went through a period last year, I think it was just because of the impact of COVID where I wasn't out doing all the things that I do for self-care, whether it be, you know, catching up with a friend for a glass of wine. Yeah, what do you or, do for self-care? Um, I garden. Fun. I love garden. I feel so old, but I love gardening. Um, and we grow veggies, and I pull out weeds. And to me, that's like yeah. my self care. Mm. Play with the kids. Great. I get my nails done, which is so shallow. But, but no, everyone's got their thing. <laughs> um, yeah, those kinds of things. Catch out with friends for coffee. Exercise is really important. Mm. Glass of wine. Hey, I think I said that. Twice. No judgment here. Yeah. <laughs> hey, 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 that was to cater for two glasses yeah. of wine. Um, that's fine. That's what I do for self care. But mm. so COVID kind of sort of made it not able to do all those things. And so I started just feeling a bit physically unwell, right. not with a cold or anything, just sore tummy. And yeah. anyway, got a few tests done. Everything was clear. And um, when I was talking to my psychologist, she said, you've got compassion fatigue. I've 
Yes, I've heard this as and a thing. Yeah, so it's not burnout. It's mm. it's completely different to um, burnout. But she said it's very tr- common in people with jobs like these mm. or emergency service workers where you just you lose your you don't sort of lose your passion that much. It's more just your energy to do what you love. Yeah, um, because everything else is being depleted. That's a fascinating point. I think there's and one of the you can hear the cat. I know, that's sorry. so good. No, cute <laughs> cat. Um, w- one of the the things in my mind when thinking about starting this podcast and exploring mm-hmm. the journey people go through to where they're up to, and then also the ongoing cost of doing it. One of the things I notice, especially from you know our time as youth workers mm-hmm. to my now working at a university and working with students in that space is. There's, I feel like, and tell me if you notice the same thing or not, is people f- assume that if you're doing what you love, that it will always be easy or that you'll have this or they assume that there's this infinite reservoir of energy. If you're doing the right thing, you're doing your calling, that yeah, you, it's, yeah. you're not going to get tired or it's going to be just a breeze. Doors will open and it'll be yeah. you know, miracle after miracle or just be, you know, you'll land that job and then, you know, yeah. realize, wait, I love what I'm doing, but I'm still tired. Yeah. And that's okay yeah that's normal that silly Is phrase that- isn't that their silly phrase like if you love what you do you never work a day in your life yeah i don't know if that's true <laughs> that's kind of what you mean yeah yeah would you say that's the case as well even though this is what yeah you love? i think the hardest thing for me is balancing what i love with my job and then the kids mm. because for so long i'd been on maternity leave and all my focus was on them and so this is this whole new space to explore another part of me you know my brain is ticking and it's funny like when I decided this is what I want to do and you can ask me about that story in a minute but I never had it I never ever doubted myself which is did you get into this then okay (laughs) that's a great way um so it's such a let's 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 name the, the elephant in the room yeah that, you know, what 29-year-old goes, oh, I want to be a funeral well, celebrant because i got to admit, I thought the same thing when you told me. And I'm like, <laughs> and then I thought about it for half a second longer and went, of course India could do that. Yes. Yeah, it's such a well, – I didn't even know it existed. I just thought yep. pastors or ministers did funerals. Yep. I didn't know someone actually. Yep. So, or, or old people at funeral homes. Like, totally, I'd, yeah. You know, so, don't mean that in a um, having a go way, but just a, you know. So I had – I finished my theology degree yep. and that took 10 years of a three-year degree. Hey, you finished yours. I didn't finish mine. <laughs> um, so I finished that and then while I was finishing that, my grandma got really sick and she mm. got sick with cancer. And um, it was a very short, like from when she was diagnosed to when she passed was only six months, but wow. it was really, and she stayed thankfully in her own home, which is credit to my mum because yeah. she's a nurse and she moved in and cared for her. Yeah. Um, but during that time, I'd visit quite regularly and she said to me, I want you to do my funeral when I die. And um, What did you feel when she asked that? I said, yeah, of course, but I had no idea what, <laughs> what I was saying yes. What did you feel? Um, or were you just sort of like in work mode almost? No, I don't know. I felt honoured, I guess, yeah. but I just um, I had no idea what to expect. Yeah. And so I said, yep, yeah, okay. So we chose all the songs. We chose kind of the logistics of what she wanted to do. She wanted to be buried first and then we come back to her church and do like a celebration service, yeah. which is celebration or a sort of a memorial service, which means there's no coffin present because she's been buried already with we like we went as her family yeah. first. Um, so we, we decided on all that. And then when the time came and she had passed, um, I, it was 
my turn, you know, to, to do it and um, had to speak up. And um, it was good for my mum and her brother because it meant that there was a lot of decisions like what songs and stuff that had already been chosen so that burden wasn't on them. Um, and then I met with our pastor, Scott Hawkins from oh, the church. Love Scott. I love Scott. Yeah, me too. And he, I wrote the service, but then he kind of helped me kind of edit a little bit. Yeah. Um, and then I had also, oh no, I hadn't done my course yet because I've, I've done a few funeral celebrancy course. So I hadn't done that yet. Scott sort of said, this is beautiful. And so we did the burial first and the funeral directors were present for the burial because they brought my grandma and um, after I did the service, they said, if you are interested in doing this for a job, we'd give you work. What? And I said, oh, what do you mean? And they said, you know, it's like a funeral celebrant. And I said, sorry, what? And so at my grandma's grave on her funeral, what? there birthed this little crazy dream. And then I did her funeral and there was a memorial service. And yeah. There was really good feedback on that. Um, and then... I went, that's it, I'm doing it. And I just went gung-ho and Matt said, yeah, this would be really good for you. This is exactly, I always wanted a job where it could work in with your shift work and yeah, um, yeah and not work weekends, which I don't really. True, funerals aren't weekends, no. are they? No, what? occasionally they are, but then you can, you're yeah. allowed to charge a little bit more because of that. But most of the time not, no. Yeah, right. Um, and so then, that's how I got into it and I went, I'm going to do this. And I went and did my course, yep. did a funeral celebrancy course. So there's What's no, that involve? It's a weekend course. Yep. Which doesn't sound like it's very credible, but it no, was enough. No. Because there's no legal stuff, because when you're a marriage celebrant, there's legal documents that you need to file. Yep. Um, but when you work as a funeral celebrant, you're covered under funeral directors because they do all of that. They so, have to do all the Yeah, so I 100% certificates. Yeah, that's yep, yep. it. So I 100% work for myself. Yep. So they will call me with a funeral now. Yeah. And then I look at my diary and say, yes, I'm available or not. So I started with this company. They gave me my very first funeral. How? how um, yeah. I'll ask that question in a second. No, you can ask now if you like. How was your first one other than... Oh, I was so nervous. Up? I was so, so nervous. Yeah. I wrote the service yep. and then I called my teacher who taught my course mm. and I read through all my notes with her and she said, oh, this is so beautiful. Like there's nothing to change. And um, That's nice. But also is it a bit unnerving as well when it's your first one? You expect oh. to have like, no, no, tell me if it's wrong. I know. Like, yeah. You know. And I was really nervous. And because um, and we have an, uh, both of us have a background working at church in, mm. in events, mm. I, I had done a proper run sheet of timed everything to the minute. Yep. And I look back now and I'm like, waste of time like I don't do that anymore um, but I do do an order of service which yeah. is just what happens and you give that to the funeral director but yeah. I was so nervous so so nervous how'd you go yeah really good yeah yeah good. everything went beautifully we finished perfectly on time because you've got to finish on time if you do them at um like Bannerong or Springvale yeah. because yeah. there's another funeral booked after you yeah so yeah. you can't be late because yeah. they're waiting to get in and then the next people are late. So yeah. um, everything went beautifully. And then I didn't hear anything for two months. As Do in, it, I didn't get yeah. any more work for two yeah, months. Right. And I, it was actually quite soul-destroying those two say, months. Were you, like, did it cause you to doubt yourself? 100%. I was like, oh, 
maybe they weren't being genuine with their feedback, but this company is beautiful and they're very, um, it's a very small boutique kind of company Mm. and that owner is so particular that she, if something is not right, she will tell me. She's very upfront and I love it. Yeah, she's the best. She's Mm. so good. And um, they didn't say that. They just said everything was really good. So I was thinking, what's going on? And so I rang them and I went into the office to catch up with them and I said, oh, is something not right? And they said, no. I said, okay. And um, they said, look, we just haven't been that busy. And they said most of the time when funeral company, you Must know, someone's summer. passed away, they might want a minister they might to do the service. They might, they might not need a celebrant. The mm. family friend might be doing the service. Um, they might be being directly cremated without having a service. So, and she said, you know, we've got four other celebrants that we use as Mm -hmm. well on their list of celebrants they use. Um, And so that kind of then made me go, okay, I need to pursue more work. Mm. Um, So in the first year of business, I did 20 funerals and that was the goal. That was the goal to do 20 funerals and I did it. Nice. And then the next year, thank you. The next year was 40 and I did 45. 45, 45 nearly funerals. one a week. That's Yeah, sometimes, yeah, yeah, about that. Yeah. So I did 45. Um, and yeah, but what I was going to say is I one day woke up and I thought, oh, I got into Bethel, Bethel Funerals as yep. well. They're yep. another wonderful company. Um, and that was just a friend from church. Um, she wanted me to do her um, her parents' service, so mm-hmm. I did that. And the painting actually is part of that story. So, so we're looking at a, a, a great Jeffrey Rush painting. Yes. So what's the story? Um, it's huge. It's actually quite a big painting. Um, mm. So I I went over to their house to sit down with them to plan what they wanted for their loved one's service. And her husband is this incredible artist. He's amazing. And he... I think he used to work as like a photographer for one of the newspapers and he interviewed Jeffrey Rush like he, I think a reporter had and he was mm. taking his photo. Um, and so then he came home and he did this. It's a stencil. So if you look closely, yeah. it's actually layer upon layer and layer wow. of a photograph that he took. And so it was hanging up in their lounge room when I went over there. Yeah. And I said, oh, I love that. That's amazing. Like that's just such a great picture, a painting. And um, he explained that he had done it. Anyway, about a year later, he rang me and said, oh, um, my wife and I are moving out of our house and the new house that we've got um, just doesn't have the wall space. And I remember that you said you really loved it and we'd like to thank you for such a good job that you did for the funeral. Do you want it? So Obviously he said yes. Is that hard to accept? I wanted to pay him, and I, oh, in fact, I paid him with absolutely. a bottle of wine. But oh, you can do it. You can pay a lot of people with a bottle of wine. I know you can, yeah, but I wanted absolutely. to actually give him money, but he wasn't interested. Which that's uh, a little thank you oh, for thanks. doing today. Oh yeah. So that's Kate's dad's yeah, I know. winery. Beautiful. So that's oh. last year's. I actually helped pick that one. Oh, thank you. I think very it's a Shiraz Tempranillo with Merlot in there as well. Oh, beautiful! So, Amazing. You can drink it now. Drink it for a while. <laughs> it's a little early. It's, wasn't meaning now, now. <laughs> no. Yeah, it's Red now or you could sell it for a couple of years and it'll still be good as well. So I might store it. Thank you. Doing, no, no worries. You mentioned wine. I'm like, we'll do that now. Oh, I thank you. Yeah, so, so that's you got the right. Yeah, I got the painting. So I hang it in my office because it's a nice reflection of like the grateful. Families are really grateful when you do a good I service. Bet. So I um, bet. Have you had any difficult ones? Oh, all the time. 
how does that how <laughs> how does that conversation go? Because like the only I guess point of reference I have to understand what you do. <laughs> <laughs> is my experience in retail and annoying people in retail yeah. that ask silly questions or don't understand how things work and get impatient really quickly yeah. or really frustrated at something that's just how it's meant to be. Yeah. You're dealing with a death of one of their loved ones. Mm. And sometimes, I remember when I was working at the bank, actually, um, it was it would happen quite a bit. It's my other sort of best way to understand what you, you have to do. And as a teller, somebody would come in and their partner had passed away and it was usually the partner that dealt with the money yeah. and they'd come in and go, yeah. um, I need to access the account. And they weren't the main account holder. Yeah. And I'm there having to, this person's grieving their partner died less than five days ago. Yeah. And I have to go policy, legality, yeah. legally, I can't. Yeah. But then my husband and, and dealing with someone that's going through that much grief, yeah. but having to go, this is just, how I can't mm. get around it. I empathize. I understand. However, this is just the way it has to be legally. I can't do it. Yeah. Super difficult. Do you have to run into that or just people just not understanding? Um, I think the biggest thing is that they're all grieving. And so grief makes yep. people do things how they would not normally behave or think or so it's not who they normally are as a person. So I think it's important to kind of, um, acknowledge that because you know sometimes with grief people can be really grumpy and rude and then other people just can't talk or can't speak and so when you're trying to get information out of them to write a service that can be quite tricky because you're trying to get them to decide on something and they can't decide so um, I deal with families who are not talking to each other so I did a service where I went to meet the family and we sat down in a room and there was about 10 people and they're like, okay, this person is not talking to this person. They haven't spoken for 20 years. So, yeah, do your meeting. <laughs> so, I um, – yeah. How many different hats do you wear oh, in this role? Yeah. Actually, maybe that's a better question is talk me through from you getting contacted mm. by whether it's a funeral company or mm. some somebody contacting you directly. Yeah. From that moment to your last main contact with them, what's that journey? Because, um, you know, you said, what, half an hour for the service. Oh, so long. How much other time yeah. is behind those scenes, yeah. behind that pulpit? So I get a call from a funeral director and he's yeah. usually with the details of the day, the time, where it is, um, and then all the other information about the deceased and their birth date and death date, who the next of kin is, who's, mm -hmm. who's organising the service. Um, and so once I get all that information, I have like a booklet that I use yep. um, where I put everything in it and every family gets a file um, so that I don't lose anything. Mm -hmm. um, so then I will make contact with the next of kin yep. and we'll organize a time to meet up. Usually it's within the next day or the day after, just depends on when the service is. Um, and then during COVID, it was all video calls, which was challenging but we we managed mm. um but pre-covid and even now we're getting back to more one-on-one -on -one, so i'll go over to their house and i usually say to them if there's anyone you'd like to help help you with input into the service then invite them along so then i go over to their house and i'm usually there for probably when i first started it was probably like two hours three hours which wow. is a long time yeah. um now i kind of make sure that i'm finished by an hour and a half because yep. i find that the process for them can exhausting. be quite exhausting. Yeah. yeah. 
emotionally exhausting. So we're usually done by sometimes an hour, but mm-hmm. usually an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, then once I've got all the info I need, then I go home and write the service. So some families will choose to write the eulogy themselves mm-hmm. for their loved one, which is the chronological kind of storyline of their life. Um, or I can write it as well. So it just kind of depends. Mm. But during my time with them, I asked them like, describe, describe your loved one to me. Did they have a sense of humor? What were their likes and dislikes? Um, what did you admire most? What were you miss the most? Um, and so I'll still talk about that. So even if they want to do the eulogy, I will still, I call it thoughts on, and you know, so I'm doing one next week that's thoughts on a dapper and loving gentleman, mm. you know, who was 106. But 106. Yeah. What's the oldest? Is that the oldest that you've no, done? No. So the oldest I've done is 110. Stop it. Mm. That would, that's so impressive. Yeah. It was amazing. What array of people were at a funeral for 110 years. All, all ages. You would have had oh, all ages. Great, great. Five generations. Far out. Five generations. Yeah. Yeah. It was incredible. Phenomenal. Yeah, it was a really good one. So, um, after so you, I yep. uh, after I write the service, yep. then I do what you call – oh, and I'm in, I'm in constant contact with them through email or call. You know, they send me additional information. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once I've written the service, I will call them, usually day before the funeral, two days before, and I read them through all my notes. So, from start to finish, just to make sure they're comfortable with anything – everything that's being said. Um, Are they usually pretty comfortable? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes things get lost in translation. Like they might, because I write about stories, you know, mm-hmm. um, so things might get a bit confused about um, what happened in the story. So right. then we, ty- I type it while they're talking to me. Um, <laughs> so we've got, obviously you can't see what we're seeing if anyone's listening. We've got a, how old's the kitten? He's 11 weeks. An 11 week kitten on the desk having the time of his life. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Not at all. It's entertaining. Um, anyway. So, sorry, I, so I do the, re- I do the read yep. back, read that. So that's usually like a 40 minute call. Wow. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I've been adding up the amount of time that so you said what so it's oh, about you an don't hour know. and a half mm. then 40 minutes yeah. yeah and it could take me a day to write the service and, uh, yep I know yep you would not do this job to get rich you do it because you love it <laughs> yeah do you, do you ever look at the hours I like, try not to though for? yeah Fair. <laughs> I, because I put my heart and soul into yes. it and so I I mean how do you put a number on that yeah I know yep. I need to get more proficient at time but mm. I just Oh, I just love it. So I just Good. spend ages yeah. doing it. And then once I've done the readback, then um, I call it the readback. That's what we call it. And then I'll do the service on the day. So I'm mm-hmm. always there anywhere from 45 minutes to half an hour before the service starts. And then I usually stay until they've gone to the refreshments or something and then mm-hmm. I'll go home. Um, so that's usually maybe two hours on the day, um, yep. for, including service time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then usually a week later I will send them an email um, <laughs> or give them a call. just depends yeah. on what – if they're really tech savvy, then an email is okay. Yeah. And it's just a check-in. Um, and So they email back and they say – we. Just love to service and we'd love to write a review. You know, where can we do that? So then I give them my business page on Facebook and they go on and write a review, which is really nice. Yeah. Um, and that's the end of the contact. Yeah. There's no more contact after that. Yeah. And how about for yourself then? Mm. You mentioned some of your self-care practices there. Is there anything else that you do to try and, you know, I don't know, 
not internalize, but you know, shake off yeah. any of the. So after I after I've done a funeral service, I always come home and take a shower. It's oh, the yeah. first thing I do. Yeah, and um, it's just kind of like this thing of it sounds silly, but no, it's kind of like washing off grief. Yeah. That makes sense. Like I just like to come home and shower and just feel reset. myself. Yeah, reset. Yeah, yeah. Um, I listen to a lot of audio books because I Fun. drive a lot. True. Um, as a funeral celebrant, you've got to be able to drive. There's a lot of um, services where I'll drive down to Bunurong, which is down like Frankston oh, Way, yeah. Yeah. Um, Springvale, or even down to across to Faulkner. I'll go to mm. Faulkner. Um, so you've got to be comfortable with driving. I did one in Sunbury last yeah. week, so yeah. it took me an Good hour and a half to get there. So I went and met the family. So it was an yeah. hour and a half there, an hour and a half back. So that's yeah. three hours. And then I did another three when I actually did the service. Wow. So that one was a rare one. It's I would, a long day. Yeah, and it was yeah. a special case, that yeah. one. But yeah. I wouldn't normally want to drive that far. Does a long drive kind of help reset a little bit? Um, brain, a, bit time a little bit. Yeah. Um, I listen to books. Yeah. I also pray. Like I'll pray yeah. in the car. That's my kind of quiet time to yeah. to pray. Yeah. Um, That'll help reset as well. Yeah. And just center and perspective yeah yeah that's right but i mean i feel like um with this particular job mm. god has opened doors that i just would never have imagined yeah, possible yeah, yeah. like for example um when i wanted to build up my business mm -hmm. so that i was doing you know now i'm doing two three a week which yeah. is really good wow, yeah that's awesome yeah that's when it's really busy when it's quiet it's one yeah. a week and i'm completely comfortable with that too mm -hmm. that's not a problem at all um it's quite good to have a break mm. but um for example when i was talking about god opening doors like he opened the door with bethel but then went into this other funeral company where i sat in the car for about 15 minutes to pluck up the courage to go in because normally like you know funeral directors get so inundated with celebrants who want to um you know do a do a mm. service with mm. them you know mm. and so most of the time they'll get their business card and look at it and put it aside on the desk because they've already got their list of who they use yeah, they go to so i plucked up the courage to finally um go into this particular funeral company and when i went in i got all dressed up in my work clothes and um when i went in i said oh is shireen here because i'd looked up who the business manager was and i won't say the company but shireen and um they said oh yes yeah, she's over here and she met with me and we sat there and we chatted for about 40 minutes yeah and she is just the most beautiful wonderful lady and she um yeah and she took my card and she said i'm really impressed with you and i'd like to use you and then two weeks later, she called me for a service. Um, and it was amazing because I wasn't like on the approved list. I was about to say, it sounds like a pretty quick turnaround, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah so normally right. you have to go through like almost like a job interview process. A where, process. Yeah. They have like a head of, um, I, I don't know his particular job title, um, but um, he meets the potential celebrants and then decides whether they go on the list or not. So I did the service before I was on the list. Yeah. And, and then how did he react to that? Um, he was okay with it because yeah. the lady that I met, because she was the branch manager and she has a lot of respect in the job, she's mm. really, really respected. His and opinion didn't matter anyway then. Well, it did, well, it did <laughs> matter, but she kind of just, he said, I trust you enough to trust her. And so I did this service. There was like three, 400 people at the service. It was a big deal yeah. funeral. It was very What's high profile. Size? Pardon? What's the average size of group um, size? It depends on the size of the room. So if it's right. a big room, mm. then we can fit 
before COVID, a thousand people. But wow. if it's a small room um, at a funeral home, that could be up to sixty or something like that. You know, so yeah, um, yeah. But this one, we had to hire out like a wedding venue just because of the size of yeah, yeah everything. Wow. Sorry, you can probably hear the kids in the background. No, it's fine. Um, what? How did COVID impact? I guess mm. not just work for you, but funerals in general, and even maybe that's a great question. People's mindset at the funeral, because I mean, you know, personally, we had to Kate's. Um, granddad passed away during COVID and even that process of selecting 10 people and I think without like you know um, Dan and I were like oh no worries immediate family you guys go we so for us it was an easy decision to like opt ourselves out but then with the next sort of ring of people of grandkids they were like one over and they had to try and decide well which one of us is not going to go see grandpa and that was the underlying stress and then trying to decide that tough how was it from your perspective then dealing with families coming and maybe having to cut half the people they wanted to have there or even 90% of the people yeah it was it was really really hard um so I I didn't really get a say of who was coming or not because Mm. that was usually what their funeral directors had to deal with because they needed a list of who was coming because of COVID Ah. tracing yeah um that was already decided on kind of before they came to me Mm. but Oh, it was so heart. It was so heartbreaking to see families. I mean, I did a service where there was um, um, ten children and a husband, and so it's like, what does one of the children not go, or does one of the husband not go? Um, and and because you're going through a, a, you know, usually I guess a big company that runs the funeral home. Yeah, I mean, they, there's no squeezing people in or out. No, they, no, no. Like we, no, fined. we couldn't do it. Yeah. Like we had to. We even applied to like the state government for a permit. Yeah, and we were. They said no. Um, so yeah, it's massively affected. Um, I still do the same amount of work. There's no. Yeah. It's not. I still address everyone as though I was addressing a large room of 400 people. Um, so yeah, emotionally it was really hard for families. Um, yeah, it was really hard. I mean, there was a lot of good things for me that mm. came out of it. Um, I really missed being with families in, in their homes. I, I missed just that what you get from them when you're in their lounge room looking at photographs of mm. their loved one. But it did save me a lot of time because I wouldn't have to drive to my yeah, next meet. I, I needed didn't have to drive to my next appointment. Um, so that was helpful. Um, I got a lot of work through um, live streaming. So did people, that happen quite a bit with some of the services? Pretty much every funeral. Yeah. So we barely did it before COVID, yeah. and and now it's just general practice to do it. But so that still continues on now. People yeah. still do it. Yeah. 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 So I'd get a lot of services. So I'd have people call me up and say, mm. "Oh, we saw you on the live stream. We want you to do my grandma's service or whatever." So. Um, that was a real positive for me. Mm. Um, so th- there was some good things that came out of it. Mm. Um, the masks were crazy. Were I you just, allowed to take your mask off when you were speaking? Um, speaking? Yeah. yeah. So I could do it while I was speaking, but I just mean for those who are sitting there crying, you know, they're bawling their eyes out and oh. to have this mask over their face. and Especially if it's hot weather as well. Yeah. That's what I found with the masks now, wearing them in the hot, humid weather. Yeah. You know, no, not fun. And I've done, you know, I've done no, I've done no COVID funerals, no actual services for COVID. But I've done a lot of um, 
suicides related to COVID. So that's that's been something that you've noticed. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Just the and what's been sort of the responses from the families around that? I'm assuming oh. would they be quite angry? Oh, fuming. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. blaming who would they? Mm. We um, won't mention his name. Yeah, I'm, I know. Uh, I'm, we're not going to get political. I'm, I know. I yeah, pulling that handbrake on because um, that's a rabbit hole that yeah. isn't going to help anybody. Let's be honest. No, and I understand, you know, why people do yeah. what they do, but surely there needs to be some grace for families who have ten children and one husband. <laughs> yes. But yeah, so COVID, yeah. like, there was lots of good things and lots of bad things that came out of it. Um, yeah. Mm. And what's the hardest thing that you find still to this day about the role? That's a good question. Um, is it two years, you're a pro. It's just like, no, yeah, I'm not a pro. <laughs> I just have, I don't know. I have, I have so much joy of what, of what I do. Like yeah. I can't not tell people what I do without a smile on my face. And why is that? What brings you the most joy? Is it the honouring people's story? I think when you finally find what you're supposed to do in life and you have absolutely 100% conviction I'm exactly where I need to be, Mm -hmm. it's so fulfilling. It's just the most joyful thing and I think our children, my children, Matt and I, children, they get to grow up watching their parents pursue their dreams you know and Matt loves his job yeah I love my job and I think that there's then that makes you a better person because you're doing something that just is fulfilling every part of who you are yeah um how common do you think that is for people (laughs) uh, I think that's probably like only maybe 10 percent of people yeah I don't know maybe probably the hardest thing I would say is continually building your business because you I am my own boss right um it's always looking for more opportunities and trying to get into more funeral homes because they're very very closed shop unless they've seen you so that's another thing that COVID's brought is funeral directors can watch you online so right yeah that's almost your audition tape totally yeah it's almost inappropriate as that seems to say no it's not because yeah. At the end of the day, it's their name on the door. So mm-hmm. if a family is disappointed with the service, they're not really going to be cross at the celebrant. They're going to be cross at the funeral director who selected them. And as you said mm-hmm. earlier, when people are going through grief, I can imagine that any little imperfection is yeah. going to be amplified. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that hard, the other hardest thing I'd say is when I did my course, I didn't. they didn't teach you that much. They touched on a little bit, but there's a lot of, like, funeral etiquette. Like what? What so, things do people not realise? Well, not so much people coming, but you as as a celebrant, you need to know what your role is and the funeral director knows what their role is and you don't step on their toes and they don't step on your toes. Right. So I'm kind of a person where I, um, if I haven't worked with a funeral director before, I'll just go and just be part of the team. Mm. You know, I'll say like, what, you know, where would you like me? What would you like me to do? I yeah. always try and yeah. just work in with, whatever they want. I treat them like they're the boss. Yeah. Um, I'm sure they'd appreciate that too. Yeah, hopefully. But mm. there's things like at the start of a service, once everyone is in and seated, the funeral director and I walk down the middle aisle and we yeah. walk down together slowly. And when we get to the coffin, we call it reflection. We bow at the coffin to acknowledge that they're there. And it's yeah. a, it's a really respectful honoring thing that we do. Um, so that, 
I didn't learn that. I just had to pick that up on the job. Yeah, right. Um, there's things like if it's a carry out, so yep. we're carrying out to the hearse, so the celebrant always leads out. So you get at the end of the service, you get right down um, the middle aisle and wait for the pallbearers to come, and then the funeral director will give you the nod, and then you walk out to the hearse. Yeah. Um, and then after they're in the hearse and they've said their goodbyes, you go to the front of the hearse with the funeral director and you walk them out. And you walk them all the way out to the end of the, as far as you can go. Mm. And then you stand there and you watch the coffin until and the hearse until it completely is out of, out of sight. Yep. Disrespectful to turn your back on um, a coffin. Right. Yeah. And is that something they taught you or you had to learn? Had to learn. Yeah, yeah, had to learn. Yeah. You'd think that'd be something that's a pretty clear cut one, isn't it? That you could, yeah. could be taught? Yeah, I think mm. it was because it was in a weekend and stuff. It's just, I don't know, there was a lot of theory. Yeah, um, okay. I mean, they were still amazing. It. They still did a good job. Mm. But think that, you know, like any job, there's things that you have to pick up on the fly. And, yeah. Um, yeah. If you, could, if you had a time machine <laughs> and you could go back to, I don't know, pick an age. Let's say just 28-year-old India. Okay, 28-year-old, I was having so, honour. <laughs> yeah, so you're in that stage of life. You're yeah. studying theology still. Yeah, I was. And this isn't even a blip on your radar, not even an idea mm-hmm. that you'd be doing this. What would you say now to yourself then? Was searching for, Were you searching for a job that you loved as much as you loved this or was it sort of just life? No, well, we were stuck in, we're not stuck, but we were yeah, in that stage of having children. Mm. Um, 28, I had honour, but when I was 29, even when I first turned 29 before I did my service, um, I had finished uni and I actually applied for three jobs in social work. Right. Because um, I'd gotten my degree, my bit of paper, yeah. and I was keen to get into the work. Mm. So I got, um, I applied for three jobs. Two I heard from, um, back from, and said, oh, you've been unsuccessful. And then the other job I hadn't yeah. been successful at all. Yeah. Um, and, but they didn't let me know. Oh, that's um, the worst, I know, she's been so long on the cover letter. Oh, no. And the key selection criteria, yeah. especially with university jobs, yeah. some have like 12 key selection criteria and you spend so much effort. You need a degree almost in filling in that. I know. Oh, anyway, sorry, I dropped it. No, yeah. that's okay. Mm. Um, so I applied for them and I didn't get them. And then it wasn't long after that that um, my grandma died and then did her service. And then that was that was how it started. Yeah. And I can't imagine doing it like, yeah, I can't imagine doing anything else. Yeah. Mm. This will be what I'll be doing for the rest of my life. Wow. Yeah. You're saying that with such confidence. Yeah. Because yeah. I was going to ask the question, but I feel like it's almost redundant with that confidence, <laughs> is what was your number one fear when you were about to take that leap into doing this? So, you know, those funeral directors have just gone, hey, would you be interested in doing this? Yeah. Between that moment and you doing your first service, yeah. what was the biggest fear? I had none. See, that's what I thought you were going to say. I had none. That's I was so like this mad woman. And, in fact, I impressive. caught up with your sister-in-law over yep. before she went to the States. We went yep. out for Thai. Yeah. And um, I was telling her about this job and she said, you've got the biggest smile on, on yep. your face. And she says, perfect, it's you. And I just was like this mad woman. Nothing. Yep. It was like, you know, when you get tunnel vision and that's all you can see and that's all you can focus on. Yep. And I was interviewing celebrants. I was interviewing ministers. Um, was, you know, interviewing this um, funeral director who said she'd give me some work. Yeah. I, I just, I had this tunnel vision that I had no, no fear of this is not going to work. Wow. 
which is crazy because one of those light bulb moments that <laughs> yeah. everyone goes that's not real yeah no it was wow. like that yeah but it still takes a toll huge toll yeah yeah a huge toll it's it takes an emotional toll takes physical toll takes physical time. yeah just tiredness or just um I get a lot of neck pain so just like oh. yeah like headaches and neck pain so um yeah, just sitting at a desk for a long time. I need to get up and move and stuff like that. So that's – and, I mean, my job when I'm doing service, I'm wearing high heels. Like, I don't wear flats, you know, because yeah, you're dressed sure, up. You and, mm-hmm. You know, so just just mainly the neck pain is the, the biggest toll. Um, mm, so I need to – looking down and even doing the – Yeah, so I need a lot of massage and physio and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so that would probably be, yeah, the physical toll, the emotional toll um, – and just time away from family. Even though I work from home, I'm still, when I'm in this space, this is my work and I'm getting my jobs done um, mm-hmm. and I'm not out there doing stuff with them, you know. So, mm-hmm. but it has a lot of bonuses because it's, like what? Um, well, it's in school hours oh, most of the time. Yep. So, you don't work weekends. I'm my own boss. So, if I just go, you know what, I'm feeling a bit emotionally drained. Mm-hmm. Um I'm just going to take two weeks off. So then funeral directors will still ring me, yeah. but I'll say, look, I'm just on annual leave at the moment. Easy. Um, I, I can be off every school holidays. Oh, come on. I know, because I remember my parents trying to juggle yep. school holidays was so Artists, hard. Yep. I have to go to the school holiday programs. programs. Yep. Yeah, right. I hated going. Oh, the worst. They are the worst. My memory of any, like, outside of school care program is really weak cordial. Oh, and so really right. crap white bread sandwiches yes. that were like warm and usually had curried egg or something shocking in it. That's so right. Don't you remember? That's yeah, the watered down cordial was massive. Oh. And doing those, in those little hammer beads. Cups. Do you remember that? Yep. Do you do the activity where you put the beads on the thing and iron them and then they oh, all stick put together? Them in the oven yeah. and all that sort yeah. of stuff. Yeah, I hated that. So they, they don't have to. Uh, if that's motivation them. enough to like get a job where you don't have to put your kids through that, like that's um, what they should teach in schools. Yeah. Get a job. Where you don't have to put your kids through weak cordial. Yeah, that's right. Actually, you're allowed to give kids cordial these days. I don't <laughs> think so, actually. I don't think so. No way. No, it's oh, just water. Back in my day, we grew up on straight sugar. I know, so did we. Oh. Same generation. Um, yeah. So that, and also with Matt's job, because he's a mm. shift worker, um, he gets four days off in a row. So it's really great so that I can work a lot when he's home. And yeah. so most of the time, like the kids have never had a babysitter, like, my mum will help. Yeah. Honours yeah. just started kinder. Um, yeah. So she goes to kinder two days a week and Jed's at school full time. Yeah. So it has a lot of flexibility with Matt's work. Yeah. But also then we get, Matt and I get a day off together. Stop it. During the week. There's parents that are so jealous right now. I know. Yeah. So there's lots of, there's lots of, pro- the pros outweigh the cons is mm. what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, what advice would you give? from the perspective of you're talking to somebody that's maybe 25 and a big thing that I've noticed, especially working at universities, you see a lot of young people finishing school, Mm. going to university, getting their piece of paper, getting in a job for some of them only 12 months, some of them even six months. I've had placement students come in and within months they're just going, why am I doing this? I'm just following this predetermined path and this isn't what I enjoy. This is just what I thought I needed to do. Um, You know, you've clearly found something that you love. I think that's an understatement. Mm. But 
what advice would you give somebody in that sort of situation that is maybe feeling like, oh, come on, is there actually anything out there that I can mm. do that I love enough to make those sacrifices for? Yeah. I'd probably say, firstly, that nothing is wasted. So all the experience that I've got, like I look at my time working at church mm. and particularly when we worked events, you know, that really trained me to look at something from a big perspective mm-hmm. and then look at the detail as well. Right. And so I use that experience in the job that I'm in now. And even, I mean, I worked in retail, so dealing with tricky customers. How much does retail teach you about life? Oh, so much. So much. Um, no, That's enough a whole to know, yeah. conversation. <laughs> I know. But yeah, like nothing, mm. all your experience, that whatever you do is is not wasted. Yeah, um, but I would, I would say just... Pursue something that you love and even if it's just as a hobby to begin with, even if it's something that, I mean, we've put up, for example, buying a house mm. because we, we bought a house in Box Hill, we sold it or renovated it and sold it yeah. and then went to buy one and then couldn't find anything and then, you know, like we haven't bought a house, our, our, our dream home yet because... Mm. Um, we wanted to build this business, you know, it meant that I could be it's off another work. price of entry for what you're doing. Yeah, that's yeah. right. It's a cost. Yeah. So yeah. once I'm working a bit more and, you know, it's hard to get business loans when you work for yourself. Oh, yeah. And you can like, not casual, but you're sort of, it's random kind of work. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, yeah like, like we've put that on hold. Mm-hmm. Um, we are in the process of applying for permanent care, which is another story of, having a child through permanent care system of Victoria. Um, what? So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. You've so, been chatting to Scott Hawkins. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we've wanted to do it before. We even were married. So, um, so that's going to take a toll. Did you want to talk about that? Yeah, we can yeah. talk about it. Um, so what does that involve? So it involves um, being approved. So we yep. there's a lot of training and paperwork. So we've done the training. We're in the process of the paperwork. Part of that is writing your life story about yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's talking about all your past experience yep. and your childhood and the things you like and don't like about yourself and about your partner and what your kids are like and how they would be with a permanent care child. Um, so then they come over to the house, the social workers, to mm-hmm. watch us as a family interview us, Wow. chat to the kids. Wow. Because um, what is a permanent care? Permanent yes. care is when a child, a child has um, been in foster care, in the foster care program, yep. and they're no longer to be returned to their biological parent or yep. um, even to kinship care. So yep. if a child is um, not safe in their own home, then mm-hmm. then child protection come in and mm-hmm. take them out and put them in um, a foster care home. And that is either for bit to be temporary um, until the, the situation is worked out and they return to their parents, or it's um, long-term foster care. Mm-hmm. But um, then permanent care is when you um, are able to receive a child through the foster care program. Mm-hmm. Um, they're to come into your home and they are like your own child. They're yeah. never to be sadly return back to their home, um, but you become their parents. But there's still lots of access to their biological parents. Mm -hmm. Um, So they get, I think on paper, it's about four visits a year per parent. So eight in total. But if you are able to build a relationship with them and it's a really positive thing, then they they encourage you to do even more visits, you know, because it's great for the child to know who they are completely. Um, and how much of a need for this service is there? Huge. Yeah, a huge, huge. need. Um, 
I don't know the numbers, but yeah. there's a lot of kids in the system. Yeah. Um, and the way Matt and I kind of feel it feel is that we we put we have decided not to have our own biological another child mm-hmm. so that we could pursue this. So we've decided that. Um, wow. We we just kind of think like we we love our kids. They're mm. they're the most important things in to us in the whole world, and mm. we think. They, someone said to me when Jed was really little, oh, he really ever cries. He's such a happy boy. And then they said, well, he's got nothing to be unhappy about. He's loved. He's safe. He's fed. Yeah. He's got toys. Um, and I thought, so right. And so I just think we love our kids. And so yeah. if we could, if we don't step up and do it, who's going to do it? You know, you don't get paid to do it or anything like that. It's completely. What a huge capacity for compassion, empathy, and love that you both have. Yeah. That's... I guess. <laughs> intimidatingly impressive, I'm going to say. Thanks. We don't... Yeah, I mean, we don't see it that way. We just sort of think that of they're going to bless our... <laughs> yeah. They're going to bless our family. You yeah. know, not just that we'll be a blessing to them, but mm. they will be a blessing yeah, to us. Yeah, it's two ways. Yeah, it'll and change you our, as much as it changes them. Yeah, and change mm. our kids as yeah. well. Teach yep. them about unconditional love, what it means to love just because... Yep you're not necessarily related, you know, and I, I think that that is just amazing and I feel like that will shape them. Yeah. And shape their our patients, you know, um, and test you because yep. these are kids who have experienced trauma. They're not kids that have just come out of the womb Huge. all wrapped up in cotton wool. Yeah. So yeah. that to me is the biggest um, thing yeah. that we need to be open with and, and have lots of strategies. So. Yeah. Um, to add that into that's going to be a whole other comment that's going to be a follow-up conversation once that starts yeah. happening yeah because we've both got a mutual friend for those listening that has that does this as well scott hawkins yeah and yeah the stories and the it's mm. phenomenal but challenging he loves those boys oh he does yeah it's it warms the heart um yeah. we've hit an hour have we yeah. <laughs> we haven't seen each other for four years i know and i feel like we've barely scratched the surface it's um Thanks for your time. Thanks for asking me. I this is what a first one. <laughs> I know. It's been a nice one to catch up on and it has. I feel like yeah, I haven't seen you for four years, so mm. it's been nice to fill you in on just life. How that's been going. Because I missed our chats. I mean we used to work together each day. We did. I Lots know. of coffee. <laughs> so much coffee. And so many unpaid hours. <laughs> oh so many. Isn't it fascinating going from like that to another job where you get paid? differently and you're like oh oh this is what normal is yeah well i don't know about that i guess for me it's True. not really normal but i always get paid yeah that's, that's never good. a problem no yeah well i'm gonna wrap it up there thanks for your time india thanks I appreciate so much for it. asking me no worries fun times bye there we go everyone <laughs>